Well, I don't know if you've picked up the theme from the music, but the theme this, uh, this Sunday is on worship. It's on worship. The title is The Worship of Eternal God. And so turn with me, uh, if you, in your books, in your Bibles, to Deuteronomy 12. And if you do not have a Bible with you, uh, Joe will bring a Bible to you. So just raise your hand, and he will bring a Bible to you. Uh, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that one home with you. So uh, Deuteronomy 12, the fourth through the eighth verse. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in what's called the Pentateuch, and it is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and so it is the fifth book from the beginning of the Bible. And so Deuteronomy 12, 4 through 8. If you've got it, let's go to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come in your presence, and we are so thankful for your presence here. You're the most important being in this place, and so, Lord, your, your heart has drawn us to this time. Your spirit has spoken to us and said, come and worship me. And so, Father, I pray that uh, truly that is the experience that each one of us is in the midst of in our, each of our hearts, that our hearts are drawn to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we have, uh, we have welcomed you here. We have lifted your name up in song. We have given of the gifts that you have given to us. And now, Lord, we sit at your feet asking that you speak to our hearts. We desperately need it. There is so much begging us to worship it in the world. But, Lord, we need to worship you and you alone. And so, Lord, just pray for this moment to be a moment that you just draw us to hear from you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. amen. As we approach this passage, uh, I'm welcoming you into my studies, um, into my own personal devotions. Uh, the Lord has had me on a journey in uh, the book of Deuteronomy over the last weeks, and, uh, and so welcome into my personal studies. And so I hope that uh, you're blessed by him. Deuteronomy, it is the most quoted book by Jesus himself. And so I think there's some significance to that. Uh, somebody said to me recently, they said, you know, I dare somebody to preach the whole book of Deuteronomy. Uh, well, I'm not going to give you the whole book today, uh, but uh, we are going to have a few verses. It is a challenging book. I'm going to tell you that. It's, it's, I want you to think about it as kind of a book of second chances, Right? Because the Israelites came up and they were following God out of Egypt. He led them the long way because, um, because he knew if he led them the short way that they'd run right back. He just got back from Israel. Out of 11 days, um, in fact, one of my brothers here today just got back from Israel. And so he probably knows this personally. But uh, 11 days, um, he could have gotten there, but he led them uh, a longer time. When they got to Kadesh Barnea, they... They rebelled against God because they said that the people were too much. So big problems, small God. Small problems, big God. And, uh, and, so, and so Deuteronomy is the book that basically after 40 years, God begins to speak in a way through Moses again that says, okay, I'm preparing you to go into the land again. And there's some things you need to know. And so... 
He reminds them of their past, coming up to the 12th chapter. He gives them two victories over uh, Sihon and Og to show them that he is their victorious king and that they can overcome anyone in him. Um, He lets them know who he was. He again gives them the Ten Commandments. He calls them to love and obey him and to remember that it was never their righteousness, never their goodness that was the reason he put his favor on them, but because he chose them as a people. And in chapter 12, he comes to them and he says, Now, let your life be a life of worship. And so, starting um, in verse uh, 4, listen to the words of God. It says, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your special gifts which you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hands to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we, we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. Oh, that last phrase. Um, that, would be the, the, that would be the hypocrites. Do what I say, but not what I do. But yeah, basically they were living hypocritical. Yeah, yeah. Not that we could relate to that at all, right? No, no, not ever. Thank you for bringing that up. Convicting to both me and you, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so God is calling his people to come back. He's calling them um, to follow him. And worship is a huge, huge part of that. Huge, huge part of that. Um, and so notice that the first phrase in verse 4 says, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Why was that important for him to say? Because he knows how he created each one of us. He knows that he, he created us to worship, and we will worship. Yes, we will worship. We are, we are created to worship in our whole being, both in mind, soul, and emotion. They're all tied to something greater than us, and and inspired to live out worship in our lives. The people of Canaan were people that had ancestry ties back to God. And yet they had chosen for years, for hundreds of years, to decide to worship in their own way. And so their worship was taking them away from the God that had created them, into beings, into the creation and worship in ways that were idolatrous. The reason they did that is because they wanted to satisfy their own personal longings and preferences. 
but it was, it was rebellious to God. You see, when worship is flavored with personal preference or personal temperament, it becomes idolatrous. I say that to the traditionalists as well as to the Pentecostal. I say it to you that um, are about form and structure and you who are what we would call the holy rollers. When it becomes personal preference, you have missed what worship's about. The Hebrew word for worship is to prostrate. It is to prostrate your the one that is worthy of your worship. Tim Keller said it this way, the pulling off of our affections on idols and putting them on God. In the New Testament, it is, it is known as uh, kissing toward or kissing the hand. It is to give homage to. And so our life is called to be a life of worship. Psalm 29.1 says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor in, of his holiness. Is your heart today prostrate before God? Are you bowed down in your heart right now before him? Because that is worship. You see, the real question is this. Not what kind of worship will meet my needs, but what kind of worship meets the needs of God. William Temple said this, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Is that your life? Is that my life? Or we are living as the people of the old who did what they saw fit. I think it's a very pertinent question because you see, worship is not just an hour and a half on a Sunday. It is your whole life. It is what you devote yourself to, whether you're at work or whether you're at home or whether you're wherever you're at in your life. It is a complete envelopment of who you are as a person. And I can tell you this, one thing. You are worshiping something. And you know what it is. Because it's what you've devoted your whole being to. It's what moves and motivates your heart every day. Worship is reality. In John 4, Jesus unfolds this to us in the fact when he goes specifically to meet a woman at a well who had been living in a false reality of men. Men who had become her God. 
And she was trying to satisfy herself in that world, and she was finding it not to be. And Jesus calls it out completely. Go home and get your husband, he said to the Samaritan woman. I have no husband. She says, you're right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you are with is not your husband. As he chose to reveal himself as the Messiah to this woman, reality hits. And when reality hits, we learn something that he teaches her, and that is this, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in, the, in spirit and truth. It is only experienced when the Holy Spirit touches a heart. And as Richard Foster says, our spirit becomes ignited by divine fire. David said this in Psalm 51 after realizing that, and, and Nathan coming to him and calling him out his sin with Bathsheba, he said this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. So worship is not about what I do. Worship is about what I do in response to the God who has already done it all. And as I come in place and I see that he is the God, then I don't worship like the world. But I worship in respect and honor of the one who is due it. In verse 5 through 7 of Deuteronomy, we learn that and this was interesting to me because it says here, um, listen to it, it says, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. And it goes on. And I could go into the history of the, of the um, offerings and of the sacrifices and the tithes and, and all that. But I think it has just jumped out me. 24 times in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, worship in the place where I choose to put my name. I find that fascinating. In a world of church hopping, in a world of preference, are you in a place that God has chosen to put his name? Now, I believe that today it's less of a location physically and more of a location in your heart. Can a person go anywhere to worship or where they're called to worship at certain places? We are a people who talk about being called into ministry, called into missionary work, called to worship together. Are we also called to worship together as a family? Does God's Spirit direct people to come together in specific communities for worship, support, love, and to reach the world around them? I think these are all great, great questions. Uh, and I'm going to admit that I'm not sure I have all the answers there. But I do believe that he calls people. To, I do believe that God is calling their heart to worship. I do believe that he calls people to come together. I do believe that. And I believe that he calls people for a purpose in a community. So I'm hoping that 
how God has helped me to framework this message will maybe help guide discernment in your heart as God is calling his people to worship, especially in a day where people are, are walking away. People are using every excuse. I prayed for a young lady this morning who told me that oh, I probably won't be there tomorrow because I've got a headache. And so I prayed this prayer, Lord, cure her headache and make it so surprising to her that she's so sure you're the curer of it. Whether she's here or not does not matter, but let her know that you love her because she's a friend of mine and she's been running for so many years after the wrong God. So if God's more concerned about the heart of worship than the location of worship, then logically it makes sense that we prioritize our hearts to worship God so he would guide us to a community that would worship the one true God. So how do we do that? Six ways. Six ways. First, we need to focus on the premier object of our worship. Last night, uh, excuse me, a couple nights ago, Sue and I watched a nature show on a, um, uh, people that were studying the devil rays. They noticed that every year they, they congregated in a certain place and they wondered why. And so they went off in a boat 50 miles offshore to this location. It was a mountain that was thousands of feet above the ocean floor, but it was below the, the ocean surface. And so they couldn't see it from the ocean, just visually. And so they needed a compass or a radar to get them there. They needed to know the specific longitude and latitude location so that they could find the place because it would have been impossible to find it anywhere else. You see, without a compass or radar in our life, we cannot find out what our life is really all about, who we are, what our purpose is. The Ten Commandments tells us this, you shall love no other God before me. See, what gets us in the weeds is not sinful action. It is sinful and misdirected thinking. When we think wrong thoughts about God, we end up in wrong places in our life. And so... A.W. Tozer says this, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Jesus encountered Satan in Luke 4. And Satan comes to him and says, all this I will give to you. All this I will give to you if you'll but bow down and worship me. Now, did Satan have the right to give it to him? Was he the authority over the earth? Yes. Yes, he was. So he had the right to say what he said. But in response to Jesus, knowing who had true authority, he said, Thou shalt not worship anyone but the Lord. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only was his words of response. You see, you worship that which you believe has authority over your life. And the world tells you it has authority. 
And it shows you that it has authority. And that's why you've gone the direction you have. Because you've believed it. But when you come to know, and when you come to think rightly about God, it sets your compass in your heart about the true course of your life. To think wrongly about God sets the wrong latitude and longitude, as I said. It is the premier object of our worship who truly sits in authority over our life that guides the worship of our life. Last week, we learned about Isaiah in the, in the sixth chapter. And we learned that what happened in, in the most tragic time of his life is he saw a picture of the true God. He saw that he was high and lifted up. He saw that he, seated, he was seated on the throne. He saw that his train totally filled the temple. And that in, in the power of the moment that even the angels were flying before him. Is this the God that you see? Is this the God that you worship? Two things of indicators that you know you're worshiping the true God. First indicator is exactly what happened with Isaiah. He saw himself for who he was. And he repented fell down before God, said, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That is the first response. The second response is that his life became an act of worship because he knew the true God. I want to prove that to you. If you want to go with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is an expression of the worship of God and who he is. I'm going to bounce around in the, uh, in the chapter. It, it's well worthy of reading the whole, but uh, for time's sake, um, I'm just going to read some selected verses. Isaiah 40 says this. I'll let you get there. It opens up and says, comfort, comfort, O oh people. You think, okay, where are we going to get Always. Try to get it from the world, but it always comes up short. Always. But here is Isaiah's answer for who is our comfort. Starting in verse 5. And I'm just, again, I'm going to bounce around just through a few verses. Verse 5 says this, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So comfort is found in the glory of the Lord. And then in verse uh, 10, it says this. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompany him. His reward, his payment is coming with him. And verse 11 says, He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. New mother, guess who can lead if you'll follow him? Amen, amen. Uh, verse 13, starting and going through uh, verse 14. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as, he, as his counselor? 
Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Our God is an all-knowing, all-knowing God. There's nothing he doesn't know. He knows your heart. He knows the thoughts that are on your mind right now. He knows the things that are going through you right now as you think of him. He knows if you have right thoughts about him. And then 21 through 26. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Listen, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. It is, it's, people like, it's people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner have they sown, no sooner have they taken root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like the chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them are missing. And then the end Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And it goes on to talk about his effect on us. God has to be our primary focus of our worship. As we worship him, we find that he's good, he's faithful, he's loving, He's merciful. He bends down to us. He knows how we feel. He knows what's in our heart, and he cares for us. He must be the primary focus. Anything outside of that is off in the weeds, and you're already having a problem. Second is the uh, the priority of worship. The second choice of his choosing is the priority. The priority is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God's priority is relationship, not service. Someone once said that activity may become the substitute for worship is idolatry. Activity may become the enemy of adoration. In Ezekiel 44, 15, God proclaims the priority to the Levitical priesthood when he says this, They shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me. Ministry has always come from relationship out of worship, not the other way around. This is the key to our day, where we, where we so quickly say, we, we replace worship with what I'm doing I'm doing something for the Lord. And it has become a trap to the church. That is why we can have such great orators that stand before and move people in the name of the Lord, and yet we have seen them fall ourselves. They're not getting what Paul got when he says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I strike a blow to my body. 
and make it my slave so that, I offer, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The blow is the humility to come before God and to say, you are my object of worship. You are my priority and I will stay focused on you. No matter what else happens, I will worship you even as I'm in front of people speaking. So premier object and priority. The third is the preparation of worship. The foundation of preparation for worship is what people in the past have called a holy expectancy. It is a belief that when the word of God is read, they would be experiencing the kol Yahweh, which is the voice of God. The voice of God. Paul addressed this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but actually as it is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. When you, receive, when you come to worship with holy expectation, what should you expect? First of all, is his manifest presence. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered, so am I in the midst of them. I said that early. But do you really believe that when we come together, that God himself is here in the midst of us? Do you believe we still serve the God that in 2 Chronicles 7, when, when Solomon finished the temple, the building of the temple, it, it says that as, as they were praying for and, and, and dedicating the temple, that fire fell from heaven and lit the altars. You know, people talk about that and they say, oh, that was great. This is the same God we serve today. But you know, some of his greatest work is done in silence. Some of his greatest work is done when he is silent and we're walking with, do I really believe this? Whether he speaks or not, he already has spoken. Whether he does anything or not, he's already done it. And I can live in, accept, in expectancy that his manifest presence is among us and that he can do a great work. And he is, even when I don't see it. That is not an excuse of the church. It's actually the power of the church. Because do I believe him? Do I believe this word? Even when I can't see his hand moving. Even when he's chosen to leave this hard thing in my life. Can I believe him to be the God that he is? Do you come to worship with an expectancy? There's another thing that the manifest presence does of God, and that is it brings the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority of the Son. Psalm 22 says this, the 13th verse, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabit the praise of Israel, the King James Version says. And in the NIV it says, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the, you are the one Israel praises. In a community of, of believers that lift up the name of Jesus Christ, there's an authority. There's an authority that comes in the manifest presence of God. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Thank you. But not only the manifest presence. Worship brings salvation. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. One fascinating, fascinating. I don't know if you remember what Paul said. You know, he said, I'm, I, you know, I have this gift of tongue, and I'm glad that not all of you have it. But in regards to the gift of tongues, it is really for the result. If it's amongst the, the people, it will have an interpreter so that we will know. But if it is not, then it is to be kept quiet. He doesn't deny the gift of tongues, but it's kept quiet because everything that's done in the worship setting is to edify the body. Everything is. And so he says in these, but listen to this. This is so fascinating. So um, in verse 24 of the 14th chapter, it says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, what's the difference between tongues and prophesying? Prophesying is reading the word of God. We're, we're prophesying right now. Hebrews tells us, the first chapter, that the prophecy is complete in Jesus Christ. So we're prophesying right now. Now there may be um, um, words of knowledge that's given, but they're not prophetic. Um, if they're not in, in um, coordination with this word. If they're outside this word, they're from the evil one. And so... So if they're prophesying, it says, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. So what's happening? Somebody comes, visits. The word God is being spoken. They're sitting under conviction, which quite honestly, I have found people have trouble with. Because we turn conviction into condemnation and we crucify the messenger. If we'll stay under the conviction, it can change our life. So they're convicted of sin, brought under judgment by all. As we agree, as one mind and one heart together, that the word of God is true, they're brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. Huh. We don't know what's going on inside your heart right now, but you do. That's where it's laid bare, is your mind is opened up to it. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, What? Yes! God is here! Amen! Worship brings salvation. True worship. So it brings the manifestation of God's presence. It brings salvation. It also brings victory. Some of you came in with heavy burdens today. I don't even know what there are. But you know what? Only God unfolds victory. Only God can bring victory. You have no earthly answer for your problem. God is the answer. And in worship, he brings the victory. In Second uh, Chronicles 20, there's a story of Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Israel at the time. And there were three armies that were coming against him. And he brought the people into, pray, into prayer and worship before God saying, this is a vast army that nobody even knows the number of. There's so many. We don't know how we can overcome them. 
And so the prophet coming in response to uh, God's um, call said this to the people. He said, the battle is not yours but God's. The battle's not yours but God's. You will have to fight. You will not have to fight. So guess what they did when they put their army together? They put a praise team in front of the army. Now let's talk about a strategy there. But they put a praise team in front and they sang. And God caused an ambush against the enemies. Whoa! I have seen that played out time and time again. I have seen it. And that is, he brings victory in the midst of our worship. Because he chooses the place. Here, amongst each other, he chooses the place. But there's another thing that he brings. Worship brings healing. Do you believe that? Malachi 2. Malachi 2, or excuse me, 4-2, excuse me, 4-2 says this. But for you who reveres my name, the son of righteousness will rise with what in his wings? Healing. Healing in his wings. Because of charlatans, we have, and fake healings, we have become very skeptical of a healing God as a family. But I am telling you, that we serve a God that has it in his nature to heal his people. To spiritually heal us and even in his own choosing to physically heal us. Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved for thou art my praise. It is a decision to worship and praise God that opens up the opportunity for healing. And so preparation for worship brings a world of expectation of the manifest presence of God. It brings salvation. The fact that in the midst of it, there is a conviction that happens under the word of God. It brings victory in our lives. In wars that we don't even have to fight, but as we bring it to him, he will go before us, and he brings healing. I believe that with all my heart. But this is also, it's kind of a, as I thought about the preparation of worship, I thought about this truth. The people of Israel had a really interesting practice. When they, when they went to, um, Sabbath for them was sundown the day before to sundown the day of the Sabbath. They did that in part for preparation to prepare their hearts. Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? Wouldn't it be cool if, if Saturday night became a time in which we prepared our hearts to hear God's word? That when we came together, we already had an attitude of, God, I'm, I'm ready to receive your word. I'm ready to receive your word. And then, this church has provided one of the least participated activities in church, prayer at 9 o'clock. What a neat opportunity to come together, an hour together, and to pray. 
I said this morning to the small group that was in there, I said, what happens in this room dictates what happens out in that room. Because it's the preparation of the Spirit of God in the hearts of people to come and to be a part of God's movement. But shouldn't we be prepared every single day? Every single day. But you have to put disciplines in place to do that. If you don't ever discipline yourself to set time aside, I can tell you, in fact, the Bible talks about this often. He's, one of the worst sins against God is a careless life before God. And that's what an undisciplined life is. Men, how hard is it to discipline? How hard is it? It's hard. It is. Why is that? Because you have a spirit that does not want you to discipline. Because he knows the power. If you set in your life time to be in his word, if you set time to spend with God, if you set time to pray, if you set a disciplined time in your life, I can tell you this for sure. Your life will change. It'll change. You want to be in worship for six more hours? Amen. I've got it. Yes. Who cares about the roast? We're going to be here for six more hours. Yes. Take the clock off the back wall, Joel. Let's get rid of it. But the thing, and, and, you know, I'm sure you had another reason behind that, but thanks for that. <laughs> but, you know, that's what God wants. He wants a heart that desires to be with him. That really is the heart of worship. I can't, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave because he's here. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing victory. He's bringing healing. He's the God I want to serve with all my life. Amen. Amen. What if we were the first one in the seats on Sunday morning? I always find it interesting if you go to a football game or you go to like a rock concert or you go to like a famous feature speaker, people are like looking to get in the front row. In fact, they pay more money for the front row. In fact, you can get like backdoor passes. What if you treated God like that? What if you were the one found in the seat first because you came with expectancy. You came believing God's going to bring salvation. You came because you know God is your victory. Dude, how many of us have a situation in our life right now that is absolutely impossible to overcome? There's nothing we can do on this earth to overcome it. It could be a child that's, that's gone away. It could be a divorce situation. That, I mean, come on. An impossible situation. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Can God? Yes. That should cause us to run to worship. That should cause us to want to stay here and, and, to, and, and to believe that he can do it. And so let's, let's live that life. Let's live that out in our existence. This is not just another thing to do. We have to worship God. Premier object, God. Priority, love, preparation. Is my heart really believing 
that the God of all is meeting here, here at this place. And then the pilot of our worship or the leader. Genuine worship, and this is new. This, for some churches in our, in our culture today, this is a new statement. Genuine worship is completely wrapped around Jesus Christ. It's not wrapped around good counseling. It's not wrapped around guys' great opinions. It's not wrapped around anything than Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ the pilot of your work? Are you living a life of absolute unashamed adoration of the Son? Doesn't matter what people think. Doesn't matter where, where, what's going on. It's Jesus and it's Jesus only. In Ephesians 1, 22 through 20, it says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. George Fox says this, Meet together in the name of Jesus. He's your prophet, he's your shepherd, he's your bishop, he's your priest. In the midst of you, to open to, to you and to sanctify you and to feed you with life and to quicken you with life. To quicken you with life. There's some, about, some in our midst right at this moment that have been living a living death. Decisions you've made, things that you've done has been leading you only to death. You know it. Because you sit there with a hopelessness that goes, oh, I thought it was that guy, or I thought it was that job, or I thought it, I thought it, I thought it. People of God, he has to be the pilot of your life. Hebrews 1, and I, I, I quoted it before, I, I just think it's worthy of reading, is just really a... Uh, a verse uh, over this Jesus that we worship, and it says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who, who he what? He appointed heirs of all things. Huh, heirs of all things. And through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact uh, representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for the sin, he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited his superior to theirs. You see, Jesus is the pilot. We're co-pilots. Until he flies the plane, our life is continue, going to fly into the ground. It's going to just continue to happen. But he said, I'll be your pilot. Will you allow him to be that, to be the leader? So he's the pilot or leader. Second of all, the paths of worship, the path. In, in, um, and I think this was among the um, Puritans. They said that the first path is the stillness of, of creaturely activities. It's the, it's the discipline of quieting your life down before God to listen 
to the still and small voice. Here's the truth. If we're accustomed to carrying out the business of our lives in human strength and wisdom, we will do the same thing in worship. We must cultivate a lifestyle of listening to the word of God. One of the hardest things that Sue and I have uh, established in our life, and she could tell you as much about this as I do, is to establish the attitude of, God, you can do anything you want with us. We have found that there's a lot of times things we don't like to do, if I'm honest with you. But when we have gone through it, it has been one of the, one of the greatest blessings that we've walked through. We gotta, oh, we've got to quiet our life down. We've got to, what the Bible says in Romans 8, 4, we've got to walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit told us that it would only do this. It would only tell you the truth. It would only convict you of sin. It would only lead you to the way of righteousness. And it would remind you of a coming judgment. That's what the Spirit of God does. That is the spirit that leads. And it's one of the pathways to worship. The second is wholehearted worship. Wholehearted worship. I had referred earlier to Mark 12, 30. It says that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? What does that look like to a people who are very reserved and in fact afraid Afraid to express their hearts, to express themselves physically and spiritually. I want you. I want you to think about when I told you about Mark. Um, I talked about Mark four. It talked about uh, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. You'll notice that the spirit is a capital S because it's a noun. Because it is the being that dwells within every single believer. You cannot manufacture worship unless the Spirit of God fills your heart. You don't have a clue what worship you know, you know what worship is because you're worshiping something other than God. But if you are if you are a true worshiper and you're worshiping in spirit and truth, that means that within you lives a being that is guiding you into a wholehearted worship. A wholehearted worship. It's that your whole being, your body and your soul, we're, we're made up of two parts. Some are dichotomous, some are tri. But if you're made up of two parts, that you are spiritually worshiping God and physically worshiping God. When we talk about our soul, we, we're talking about our, our, our mind, emotions, and our will. Correct? And so with our mind, we're thinking about who this God is. We're, 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 we're hearing what's going on. With our emotions, we're feeling the impact of this truth. And it touches our life. We don't just let it flow off our back. But this is for me, just for me, and I want to listen to it. And with our will, we are acting out. If there's a sin that needs to be confessed, we confess. If there is an action that needs to be done, we're doing it. Because we're worshiping God fully. And it goes from being prostrate before God to David dancing before the ark. 
It is a very wide range of what it looks like. Wholehearted worship cares about only one thing. Jesus is here. And so I'm going to let him know I see him. And then finally, the product of worship or the consequence. There is a consequence to worship. There is a product that comes out. The, the consequence is my life is no longer my own. It's his. And guess where that leads you? Into spiritual warfare. It does. I can tell you something about God right now. He does not care if this floor is vacuumed. <laughs> he does not care whether the, street, the, 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 the chairs are straightened. Thank you, Leon, for doing that. It doesn't mean your job isn't important. But what it does mean is God cares. What does God care about? He cares about Leon's heart. That's what he cares about. And you know what? There's a war over Leon's heart. There is an evil one that wants to destroy it. Do you care? Yes. <laughs> we should. But that if you care, that means you get involved in the spiritual warfare. That means you get engaged what matters to God. That means that his heart is your heart. And you care about what he cares about. I told you, I don't know if I told you guys, I told my leadership that, um, that there is a young man today that is running as a fugitive of being charged of three murders. He worshiped among us. God cares about that fugitive. He loves him. We should care about the lost. We should care about the war that is going on in and around us. That is why, that is why, no, no extra cost for this, this was in my notes, but I just said say it and I said I will. Listen to God's words. If you're going to be, if the product of this worship is the fact that you are on board, you are God's army, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God. Helmet of salvation. Am I saved? If you're not today, he brings salvation to worship. Receive Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. You're right because Jesus is right. No other reason. The, the belt of truth that holds everything together, and I'm glad I have a belt on today. So are you. <laughs> holds everything together, and it's truth. God does not want, if you're living in falsity or deceptiveness, if you're living a life that behind the scenes is deceitful, that is not the belt of truth. That's a lie. 
Your life is a lie. Let the belt of truth put, put you together and then walk with the, with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Bring the word of God wherever you go. People are hurting. There's a whole generation of people that are waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. They want somebody just to say truth to them because they've been living under this shroud of deception and they know it and they don't know what the, what the difference is. Let him lead you. Because God says this. This is, well, yeah, through the Spirit said through Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. Those are the worshipers that, that the Lord accepts. So as you think about worship, as I conclude, what are you doing in church? What are you doing here? Can you answer that? What are you doing here? So, as I conclude this, I want to go back to where I started you out with the Deuteronomy. So we talked about the fact that don't worship like the world worships. We talked about the fact that God is the one who chooses. But then it ends, and it says this in the 12 chairs. It says this. You are not to do as we do here today. Everyone is doing as they see fit. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. God is calling us to worship the eternal God. That's what he's calling us to. But you have to choose no longer to live as you see fit. You're no longer to worship as as you have seen worship. You're to believe that, that you're not to worship as the world, so we're holy. We're separate from the world. We're called out from it. You, you, you believe that, that God has called your heart to worship him and called you here to do that. So worship him. And your life is not your own. You're not Superman. God has called you to worship him and to, and to live in a separate way that, that you don't see fit. Why? Because this is not your resting place. This is not your home. Your home is being created by Jesus Christ. He says, I, in, in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to get you so that you can be where I am. That's what we live for. That's what worship is. Are you living that? Are you living that? I pray that you are. I want to be amongst the people that live that way. I want to be amongst the people that are just, they're so excited about Jesus, the pastor hardly has to speak. Because because they're on the edge of their seat expecting. They're believing God to be, to bring salvation. They're believing that God's going to bring victory. They're believing that God's going to bring healing. They're, they're believing. They're prepared. They're prioritizing. They have the right pilot. They, it's, it's, it's on. It's on. I don't care if you're 92. 
change the world with that kind of attitude, Russ. Yes, you can. You still got time. You still got time, brother. Thanks for loving these guys on Wednesday night. I appreciate you a lot. People of God, it's time. Stand with me as we end this time together. I pray that the Lord has spoken to your hearts about this thing called worship. And I pray that your hearts are ignited by the Spirit of God to follow him. No matter what. No matter what. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you told us today that uh, we are not to worship like the world worships. And that seems elementary, but it's not. There's so much happening even within the church that we have taken on a cultural worship. Lord, you've said that you're the one that chooses the place to place your name. And so I thank you for every person that's in front of me where you have placed their name and then how you have drawn us together to worship. I, I'm so thankful for that, Father. Um, and Lord, here I am. I don't go to the pier because I am the pastor. I go to the pier because you called me. And I'm here to worship you and you alone. And Lord, you've said that we are not to do it in the way that we see fit. And so, Lord, I pray that in the inspiration of your word and the truth of your word that our hearts will be drawn uh, to be disciplined to spend time with you, to be disciplined to realize that this is greater than going to a Super Bowl or going to a rock concert or going to a famous speaker, but you give us the opportunity to come and to, and to see your manifest presence in our place and to worship you and to lift you up in this place. And so, Father, I just pray that, that our hearts will be moved by this and that we will, Lord, fall prostrate before you and you alone, for you're the only one that's worthy of our worship. We love you and we give you praise and honor. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word that's true. Touch our hearts. You love us enough not to leave us where we're at. May we leave here different because you've been here. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.